learned about Heidi. But cockroaches were the least of her problems. Heidi had to fight for every opportunity. You know, Heidi is, even though she's very kind of sweet and innocent. Heidi wanted out of the slum, and her agent wasn't doing enough. Oh my God, they moved Heidi right next to me now. Although Heidi seems serene. She is, she's a bit naughty. She uses an ancient folk remedy to help calm her down. Heidi is back. Happy Friday, everybody. Heidi Glaus here with Josh Gilbert, Connor over on the board. And we have, I think, a pretty darn good show, if I do say so myself. Connor, you remember Nina Blackwood from MTV back in the day? She was one of the original VJs. There's no way you would know no, I think that is. Is that who you think I sound like? Yes! <laughs> I think you think I'm older than I am sometimes. I, I think so, yeah, too. I think I'm older than I am. Telling actually. you. It's the reverse. There's yeah. four days of music, and I just... Are you okay? Are you yeah, feeling yes. sore throat? Or no! Or are you just losing it? I just... Uh, I yelled too much when Janelle Monet was on that stage, and then Annie Lennox and Brandi Carlisle. If you guys are tuning in, that's where I was uh, until Tuesday, four days of music in Mexico, and it was fantastic. But let me tell you what we have on the uh, show. We're going to talk to a New York Times reporter who follows Congress, and she went to see Oppenheimer, and the whole time, and the way her mind works is, how did they get this through Congress? How did they fund this? And so she did this deep dive, and we're going to talk to her coming up at 3.30. We'll also check in with Andy Field and uh, find out how Congress and this border bill showdown is going, where we stand on that. In the 4 o'clock, it's Friday, so Mike Ward will be in. And all month, we've been doing either lesser alcohol Wines, maybe zero alcohol in them, and lesser calories. Lesser calories, because well. a lot of people do dry January. Some people do damp January, and today we're going to talk about a sparkling that is low calorie or no uh, alcohol. And Kava, then, yeah, to be exact. specific, yeah. Uh, and then we'll also check in with Royal Oaks. We've got the top five at five. We've got some entertainment news, and then we'll. Wrap this show up with some randoms. On the text line, who's that sexy sounding lady? Well, <laughs> my name is Josh. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so the other day I got a piece of furniture and putting it together was one thing. What'd you get? I got a new chair for our front room. I, okay, I, I want things done immediately. A room that you rarely go in. Until we recently rearranged it, and now that's where we've been hanging out. Doing what? Um, watching TV, playing pool. But so it, it's beside. It's like, so you guys know I live in Lafayette Square. It's 
the old parlor rooms, and so there's pocket doors in between these two rooms. Heidi lives in one of those doll houses. Yeah. Anyway, that front room we hadn't used a lot. The pool table is where a dining room table should be, and the pool table can turn into one if we ever want to do that. A dining room table. Yeah. But anyway, the way I had it set up originally, and I can say the way I do because I do a lot of the decorating. Mm -hmm. Marsha would agree with that. I'm like, the back of our couch was like to the pool table, so we couldn't really use both rooms at once. So I decided to rearrange the furniture to open it up a little bit, but then the other two chairs made it seem too crowded and you couldn't walk. So we used those um, chairs somewhere else, and I ordered kind of this, I'm going to say it's like a retro lounge chair. I'll show you a picture. I feel like you are very mid-century modern. Yes, very. So it's that dark green one. Oh, the, my gosh. You like it? Oh, this is this is a famous chair. Well, I don't Yeah. I mean, it's. I don't know what style you call it. It's like a retro recliner. Well, it's not like the Eames chair, but it's, it's like it's a famous chair. Yeah. Is it comfortable? Yes. Anyway. I see ads for, for these on Facebook from time to time. All the time. Yeah. So what's this lime green that. couch I'm looking at? Do you sit in it? It almost looks too nice. Yeah, it does been, look too I've nice. I've been having coffee in it every morning. It you do? Clean. Yeah. Do you, do you clean it like every day? No. Vacuum it. Well, well, it's brand new. That's the way our house. And it's Heidi's trust house. Trust me. Yeah. So of course anyway, it's clean. that's not what I <laughs> wanted to talk about. But like, why are there these little packets of gel? In a box with furniture or in a box with, like, what are these supposed to do? Why is it in with my uh, uh, prescriptions? Yes, or your vitamins. Like, what is it to absorb moisture? Is it, because I'm turning to the Woods Basement Systems text line, 84126, because you guys know everything. Is, so, what is it Silica gel. gel. Do not eat Throw away. So is it is it salt? I always thought they were salt. I don't packets. think it's salt. I mean, we could break it up. Uh, silica is we used to sell silica sand, but I don't know what silica is. Silicone? Is I, it plastic? I don't know. <laughs> is it plastic? It's, I don't think so. Man, I'm going to have to keep this voice. You guys are being tuned on the uh, text line. Susan said, uh, "I've been listening to McGraw too much." And inherited his lost voice, but it sounds super sexy. Yeah, McGraw's been losing his voice for like two weeks. Hmm. Somebody also says, uh, sound congested too, but lovely. Uh, somebody said I needed ENT. I promise I do not feel bad. It is, I mean, I'm a little congested, but I don't feel bad and I'm, I'm fine. The packets absorb moisture. But it's a tiny little packet. Yeah. It How just... much moisture? Like if the box fell in the ocean. Well, you know? I don't think well, that's don't the think kind of moisture. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What do we? What do we do? What kind of moisture are we talking about? Uh, what about those little tags on like the mattresses? That say do not remove. Yeah. Do you why? know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yeah. Did you leave those on when no. you actually bought it? I have mine still. I'm well, like, it says I mean, don't remove. Heidi. You cover. You're the rule follower. We cover it with a mattress pad, and then we cover it. Well, technically, we cover it since we've had a bed bug scare. At your house? This is at her apartment years ago. Oh, my. I think we brought him home from Chicago. Do you still have the same mattress from... No, but we have started... No, that mattress got thrown out a long time ago. We 
bought these bed bug covers to go over, and they're like, oh, not like va- vacuum sealed, but they're so kind of designed to keep the the bugs out. So even if we bring them home again, there's a layer there to keep them from infiltrating the mattress. Well, itself. why wouldn't they just infiltrate the rest of the? Because then I can I can wash the sheets, I can vacuum the room, I can. I think you were do this, that, or the other. I can't wash the mattress. So once they get in the mattress, it's over. Can't you get the exterminator in, or is that the ex- is that we, not an option? We brought the exterminator in twice, and she was still waking up with these little and the bed bugs. You can tell because they go in like. I'm a betting line. she didn't want you to share the story. It was. You're right, and she said, "Do not talk about this on the air." Uh-huh. But it was 10 years ago. It was ago. years ago. Statute I, of limitations I has expired. I don't think so. Uh, everybody weighing in, thank you. They pull the moisture out of the air. Uh, so soft items, meds, et cetera, don't get stuck together or get musty. So thank you for that. Well, here's my question. With my medications, am I supposed to leave it in there the whole time? I mean, I've got a three-month supply. Yes. You do? Mm-hmm. Really? Hmm. Yeah. Oh. Well, if it's in the closet, it's still damp. I mean, I... I put uh, Advil gel tabs mm-hmm. in the car because, you know, you don't want to be case. on the run and get a head uh, headache. Because, God forbid, you couldn't stop at a gas station and get something. What? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. But what if my car is parked in the garage and I get a headache here at work? That bed cabinet? It doesn't other. have aspirin anymore. Oh. Well, they say not to keep them in the car, actually, Josh. I well, don't know if you're getting to this because it's the weather temperatures fluctuates I, too much. I go uh-huh. to get one out, and it's a block, and they're yeah. all stuck together. And yeah. you reached in there, and clearly the gel tabs have not burst, but started to leak, and they're all stuck. To, it's pretty gross, especially in the summer. I took you know, two it's of like them anyway. Degrees, right? Yeah. I took them anyway, but yeah, maybe I need. Did you throw that gel, gel tab away? Yeah. Maybe I'm going to go put that in my car. <laughs> um, last night, I went to see Funny Girl at the Fabulous Fox. Had you seen the movie with Barbara? You know, maybe I saw it years ago, but I didn't remember the plot. I did not. I even forgot some of the fantastic songs. I don't know anything about it, but it's based on a, a vaudeville star, Fanny Bryce. Uh-huh. And was it set in the vaudeville times, or was it? Updated? Yeah, and and that's what I think I love. So it was, it was big sets. It is uh, beautiful costumes, and I got to tell you, the tap dancing for one was just draw dropping. And I am not one to be mesmerized by the dancing, but tap dancing was fantastic. And we had the understudy last night, and no offense to the star. I don't know how she would do it better. I mean, this woman knocked it out of the park every single... And then you also know more of the songs than you think you do. So I was blown away by the like performance. Which, which ones? Uh, don't Rain on My Parade or the, you know... Yeah. And I don't have the playbill in front of me. I'll tell you the actress's Rain name. Rain on My Parade. Yeah. But there's a couple, and I kind of forgot it's... Where the whole, hello, gorgeous, came from. Um, 
So what is Funny Girl about? Because Wendy said the first half is hilarious and the second half is heartbreaking. Uh, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, can you tell us without... It's a love story. It is a love story. Yes. And Fanny is uh, trying to make it on, you know, to the big stage. And at that time, it's a lot of long-legged blondes doing these kick-ups. And she doesn't fit that kind of mold. But she's funny. She's funny and she is a fantastic actress. She's just not the showgirl, if you will. Mm-hmm. She's, you know. Uh, so, and she's she's super funny, but probably slightly awkward, too. Yeah. And so she finally, you know, works her way into this and then this very handsome man comes in who you think would never fall for her and does and then all of those things ensue. Yeah. Okay, I I haven't seen any of this, but I'm imagining there's a scene where a guy with his cigar goes, "Who's that homely girl over there?" <laughs> well, well, she sure is funny. She's a funny girl. And then the curtain comes down. <laughs> yeah, not that. Oh, uh, Ed Becker said he was there too. Last minute decision. Third row center. The confetti came down on me. Agreed on the fanny. So good. Ed. I was probably three rows behind you. Yeah, I was going to say, that's where you would have sat. Yeah. So that was, I'm glad you agree on that one. And then you got to check out the new 360, what are we calling it, West? I think it's 360 West, uh, Westport 360. There's an actual name for it, but I think it's 360 West. You know when you go to one of those things, they're giving you those free drinks so you will get the name right. Right. Oh, yeah, right. Of course. So I can... Talk, talk about, about it. it. Yes. Sorry, Bob, uh, but we uh, I signed up for this thing. And mm-hmm. I think there's another one tonight. Soft open. I think it opens officially next weekend. But it was really cool. Is it? And we don't have anything like that in the county. I hate to say it, you know, because even in Clayton, I don't think there's anything that – Regular humans can can go up in. They have private clubs up in some of the tops of some of those buildings. But um, it was super cool. It was just like the one downtown. You had an indoor portion and an outdoor. Oh, you portion. do have where? Like if you drive around the Gold Tower, do you see the outdoor portion? You haven't seen it? No. But I haven't driven in the back. I come into the garage, so I've just seen. Oh, you're okay because you're coming from forty right every day. I'm coming 270 from Bridgeton. And you can see it. You can, yes. Like that, my whole side coming from that direction, they blew out all the windows and now there's half windows. Uh, it's open air. It's so cool. Okay. So cool. And I had the most fun drink. And What it, was it? it? Well, it was uh, vodka, raspberry, champagne floater, Lily Blanc. It was pink and it was called Soft Hands. And I felt really bad because <laughs> my wife gave me a dry martini and I go, oh, I'll take this soft hands drink. Uh, um, I'm not surprised. But mine was much better than hers. And uh, it was great. And I feel guilty because I don't get to go to these things very often. And they're like, you know, everything's on the house. Have whatever you want. And then I'm just, well, I'll just have a smidge of this. Well, they do that for a reason. It's not for you. I mean, they want you to talk about it. it's for the it's entire for the staff, staff to kind of yes. find out how things are moving so the kitchen can get things out properly and that the wait staff can 
figure out what works best. So, and if it was Carney, he'd be like, I want this side of the menu. And then when you're done with that, bring out that side of the menu. But I, we, we, you know, we split a steak. The appetizers are fantastic. I, I would just have to say that anybody who, who lives out in the county and wants to go to a really nice date night out. Yeah. And the weather last night was terrible. But What could you see? Uh, well, it was dark and cloudy, so you couldn't <laughs> fog, yeah. so you couldn't see anything. But I've been up there before when Rabada left, uh, or I guess Kobe left. What year was that? Because I, I can't put my finger on that. Because that's the last time I was up in the Gold Tower. Man, I don't think it's been Rabada for years. It's been Kobe for a long time. But they moved out, uh-huh. and I went up there. I just got in the elevator here at Westport and hit twelve. And it opens up, and you can walk around. And there's, like, still tables and chairs there. I probably wasn't supposed to be up there. But you you have a great view from up there. Well, so, I'm anxious. When it opens uh, next week, Yeah, I'll have to check it out. And the weather's we supposed to get a lot better next week. 50s. Yeah. It's going to be crazy. Yes. But so I, I wish I could go back and, and say, um, you know, give me three steaks and, you know, two orders of the pasta. But I just – I've I just feel guilty, even though they've invited me there for that purpose alone. Well, I felt a little guilty. Okay. Well, I don't think you need to in this situation. You need to feel more guilty about opening up people's refrigerators when you go to their house. No, no. I stand by that. So uh, coming up next, we'll do traffic Yeah. with Captain Paul Kopsky. And I'm really excited about this. An interview with the New York Times is Katie Edmondson. You haven't seen Oppenheimer yet, have you? No, it's on the list. Oh, Heidi. Do you have Peacock? Yes. Now I, think, I do because I got it to watch football. Oh, the football game. I think starting mid-February, it's going to be streaming exclusively on, on Peacock. Yeah. So you got to see it. Well, I've got to see all these shows before the Oscars. Yeah. So uh, Katie at the New York Times watched Oppenheimer, and she said, how did they possibly get this funded through Congress without anybody? Because it's top secret, like yeah. super, super top secret. How did they fund this thing without anybody ever finding out? And the depth to which she dove to get this story, it's so fascinating. I can't wait to, to share it with you guys. So we'll go to break. Oppenheimer, the movie about the man behind the atomic bomb, continues to rack up award nominations, but it also raised some questions for Katie Edmondson, a reporter in the Washington Bureau of the New York Times covering Congress. She joins us with her deep dive into the topic. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. Is it safe to say, Katie, that you became obsessed with how the United States pulled this secret off? I do think that's fair to say. That's actually a word. It was in the story. It was actually a word inserted by my editor. That was not of my own choosing, but I didn't think I could fight with him on it because it was a little too accurate. Yeah. Well, I'm reading through the story, and it sounds like you do a lot of research in this. I'm talking the basements of the Library of Congress, weird, obscure libraries in Texas, and books that you have to read hundreds of pages, but that's kind of... What you do for a living, isn't it? Yeah, this project, which was about trying to figure out how exactly Congress was able to secretly pass the money 
to fund the Manhattan Project, to fund the creation of the atomic bomb, was kind of a reverse engineering of the job that I currently do now. I cover Congress for The New York Times. I specialize in covering federal spending. And so I go through typically the spending bills that Congress passes now, and I'm looking for anything interesting, anything that seems peculiar that uh, the government might not be so keen on us knowing that they're funding. And so this is kind of the opposite. I knew what the project was that I was looking for, but I had to go back in time and piece together exactly how they were able to pass what I found to be $800 million back in 1944, uh, how they were able to pull it off. So would it be safe to say that you're the only one that ever reads all these bills? Oh, well, I don't think that's true because there is a, I mean, there's the a press corps that covers these bills. There are the, the senators, the congressmen. You know, I'm not sure what percentage of them read these bills, frankly, but certainly their staffs read them. There's a lot of us, but the, the thing that I think this story showed was that, you know, these lawmakers were able to hide the money for the bomb in this innocuous-sounding line item that they tucked away in one of the spending bills called expediting production. I think the thing that this story showed is that it can be quite difficult to try to winnow out a consequential project in these bills because they're often written in kind of archaic, uh, super wonky legislative language, and they're just really long bills to begin with. So you spent six months digging in. Had the topic never been covered before? Well, you know, I will say because I was trying to do my day job of covering the spending bills that Congress was passing, it was it was on and off during those six months. And there has been a great deal of scholarship done, of course, on the Manhattan Project and on the bomb. But I think because of my day job, I was coming at it from a very specific angle, which was I want to figure out exactly how they hid this money. I want to know exactly which lawmakers were clued into this entire gambit. And so it was just that level of granularity. I mean, frankly, I wasn't I didn't come to this looking to write a story. I was hoping actually someone else had written a tidy little Wikipedia page or magazine (laughs) article that would give me the answers. Um, And certainly there was information out there sort of giving a, a basic sense of how all of this worked, but it just didn't have the level of granularity that I was really looking for because I, I cover this. And so that's really what led me down this rabbit hole of ferreting through all these pages. So Congress did actually vote on this. That's right. Uh, the $800 million was tucked away in a, mil- a military spending bill. It passed both the House and the Senate. And when that happened, at least all the evidence that I found shows that out of what 400 or you know 400 plus members of Congress, only seven members at the time knew that they were voting to approve $800 million for the bomb. How many? How okay? How many people in Congress actually knew what was going on in the desert? My understanding is seven. Seven. About three in the House and four in the Senate. That's right. So what I hear you saying is Congress really has not changed all that much. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You know, when this story published, I got a lot of reader mail from people asking me, could something like this happen today? And, you know, as I was going through interviews or through archival documents, some of the people who were involved in pulling off this secret gesture 
said that they didn't think anything to this magnitude could be accomplished outside of the context of global war, right, a time when there was a a great sense of patriotism. People wanted to bring the end of the war uh, to a close very quickly. That being said, I do think the fact that just seven members of Congress, with the help of the Roosevelt administration at the time, FDR's administration, were able to pull this huge feat off, shows that when there's a will among a small group of lawmakers, they they can pull things like this off. So we all know the phrase that Congress holds the purse strings. And if you want something to get done and it costs money, you have to go through Congress. So apparently there were seven or eight people in Congress who actually knew what was going on. But whose project was this? Was this a military project? Was this President Roosevelt himself? Was there a small group of people in the White House that said, this is what we're going to do. Now, how do we pay for it? Yeah, that's exactly right. This was a project and it was a, there were many different agencies that were involved, though there was only a very few uh, number of people within the Roosevelt administration. Uh, My research showed that President Roosevelt himself was extremely engaged in not only learning sort of the day-to-day information about what was happening with the Manhattan Project, but that he was also acutely concerned about making sure that they had enough money to be able to build the bomb first. One of the funnier, honestly, documents that I came across in this research was a memo from FDR in 1942 to a scientist who was overseeing really the administration of the project. And it was a one word memo and excuse me, a one line memo. And the one line was, do you have the money? signed FDR. And so I think it showed this is something that it was the military was involved, uh, but also President Roosevelt himself really steered. We're talking to Katie Edmondson, a reporter in the uh, Washington Bureau of the New York Times, who did a fantastic story, a reporter's journey into how the U.S. funded the bomb. I mean, you had to have a few lucky breaks finding a a one-line note like that. Well, that's right. And part of it was just, in some cases, sheer brute force, to be honest with you, paging through a lot of documents. I always give a shout out to this fabulous reference intern at the Sam Rayburn Library in Austin, Texas. That's the library of really uh, someone who's considered one of the most powerful, legendary speakers of the House of all time. Speaker Rayburn was uh, in charge of the House during World War II. And I asked this reference intern because those records actually are not digitized. They are literal pieces of paper in cardboard boxes. I had asked him to keep going into these certain folders where I was sure that there would be some sort of note, some sort of memo from Rayburn. And we we didn't find anything. And so sometimes you would try and you'd be sifting through information and you wouldn't come up with anything at all. And other times you would find a memoir or in this case, that memo from FDR that just told you so much about what was happening. Katie, I think you're a rare breed, and I don't know if anyone has said that, but how many how many pieces of paper in your day job doing research like this, how much paper do you read every day? Oh, gosh. I mean, it, it depends because Congress, it's very much their sort of seasons. There are busy weeks and there are quiet weeks. Um, but, you know, these spending bills, for example, and this is something that you hear a lot of gripes from lawmakers in both parties 
about is a lot of them have said that they really don't like the fact that more recently it's come into fashion that the government is funded in one huge spending bill that they vote up or down on. And when that spending bill is passed, oftentimes that will be a thousand pages or more to read through. And so that's you know, a, a lot of really dense language to sift through. That's oftentimes when we're lucky, right? That's when there is a physical uh, copy of something for us to read. It's actually tougher, in my opinion, when you have to figure out what someone said in a closed-door meeting that wasn't written down. I like having that paper, but it's certainly it's, it's a lot of paper to read through. Well, that brings up a different question. Is it still on paper today or is it more like an email? And how in the future will we go back and find this sort of thing? You know, it's such a great question. And it's something that I was thinking about a lot as I was looking through these letters and these memos. Something that I quoted extensively in my story and also that was really helpful in terms of just understanding how this gentleman was thinking at the time was the war secretary, Henry Stimson, back in the 40s. He kept a diary. So he'd come home from the office every night and not only would he chronicle kind of how he was feeling that day and the the social events that he went to with his wife, but he would take painstaking notes about the, the meetings that he was in and the calls that he had done. And that became enormously helpful for me and obviously for, I'm sure, any historian covering this period of time. And I don't really think that you know most members of Congress or I don't think that keeping that journal is really in fashion anymore in the way that it was in the 40s. Now it's probably a lot of text messages. Right. right? And I don't know. I don't know how we get access to that. So that is something that I thought about a lot and I think is a little a little worrying. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm all for going back to pen and paper. Oh, my God. You're going to go to the Library of Congress in 20 years to research congressmen's TikTok videos. Oh, God. Can you imagine? Yeah. um, I'd rather not. So uh, that that speaks volumes that uh, politicians are are famously blowhards. So how is it possible that for even these seven Congress people to keep their mouths shut this whole time? Well, that was one of the questions that I had when I was reading in a couple of textbooks that I found initially. And they said, oh, you know, these guys kept it a secret and it was successful. And I just kept thinking, well, I, I know these guys. That that doesn't sound quite right to me. Maybe times were really different back then. Uh, but there were a couple of anecdotes that I found that actually showed, I think, just as reflective of the fact that human nature is pretty enduring throughout all decades, but certainly for members of Congress. Uh, there was one anecdote that showed, uh, in fact, a member of Congress who had been briefed on this, who had been sworn to secrecy, was caught by Speaker Sam Rayburn at the time in sort of a secret conversation with a reporter, uh, ostensibly telling him exactly about this secret about fun bombs. And this was uh, told in Sam Rayburn's recollection. He, he gave this anecdote in an interview to a historian before he passed away. And he said, you know, I went up to the reporter and I said, you love your country, don't you? You're a good American. And the newspaperman responded, yes, of course. And Sam Rayburn said, well, then don't publish anything about what he's just told you. And in Sam Rayburn's recollection, the man did not, and everything was fine. And so I thought, one, it was really kind of an amazing anecdote because it it does show the nature of loose lips on Capitol Hill, but also I think speaks to maybe a different time, right, when a member of the press could get that kind of reception from the Speaker of the House and decide, okay, this is a story I better pocket. 
Wow. Would you today, for the New York Times, would you have blown the lid off this whole thing? <laughs> well, you know, it's a question that I've been getting a lot. And I have to say, first of all, I think that if I had just been a reporter reading through the spending bill and I saw the line item expediting production, I don't think I would have thought anything of it. I don't think I would have bat- batted an eyelash because it was described in the legislation as a, a line item to help speed the flow of weapons to to the boys in Europe, right, which would have made perfect sense at the time. I would not have questioned that. Whether, you know, if, if you were the reporter who had a congressman come up to you and say, let me tell you about this meeting we had, and then for the speaker to come and say that you better not if you love your country, that I think would have become a, a question that would be escalated to the highest levels of our newspaper that probably would be the subject of an intense debate, weighing on one hand the public's right to know, weighing on the other hand the, the idea that it was wartime, that this was a secret of the highest level of national security. It, it would have been a really tough discussion, I think. But at least in that story, in Sam Rayburn's telling, it never even got to that point. All right. So, Katie, with everything that you have researched with your fantastic story, does the movie seem to get the story right? Well, the thing is, and this is really what prompted my interest in this, was that the movie, when it talks about Congress, it's mostly focusing about this particular Senate confirmation of this man played by Robert Downey Jr., right? It's more about what happened after the bomb was created and was dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And so the fact that they actually didn't really cover the congressional involvement in the actual creation was exactly the thing that, you know, got me into this mess in the first place and yielded this story. <laughs> That's interesting. Just out of curiosity, apropos of nothing at all, was this a bipartisan decision? Obviously, Roosevelt, Democrat, and the White House, but the, the congressman that knew, was this a mix of Republicans and Democrats? Yes, it was. In both the House and the Senate, the uh, administration briefed the the highest Democrat and the highest Republican. So this was a bipartisan decision. And at least in terms of the the memos and the diaries that I've read, it did not seem like there was really any debate or dissent, much less along party lines. These lawmakers were asked for $800 million to help create a weapon that would win the war. And they said, of course. Wow. Well, Katie Edmondson, fantastic digging and reporting. And thank you so much for joining us. Hey, thank you for giving me the chance to talk about it. I appreciate it. It seemed like Congress was getting slightly closer to a border deal. And then former President Trump threw a bit of a wrench in the works. Andy Field, ABC News correspondent in Washington, joins us with that story. I mean, has the whole thing fallen apart or are people kind of ignoring what the former president said and still moving forward? Well, they don't seem to be ignoring it in the Senate, but uh, certainly the House, where House Speaker Mike Johnson's made no secret that whatever Donald Trump wants him to do, he seems to be willing to do, in, including blowing up any kind of uh, deal on the border here. It, it, it's pretty extraordinary that uh, they've gotten this close, and the only reason they've gotten this close is that both sides want something from the other side that the other side wasn't willing to give them without some kind of leverage. And that leverage is, is that the Democrats seem to, more so than the Republicans, want to keep sending money to Ukraine and Israel to help support uh, their fight against either Hamas or Russia. 
Uh, and the Republicans have been pushing for the longest time to do something to get tougher with the, the southern border. Now, President Biden, uh, Republicans fail to mention this over and over again, but the day he came into office, came up with a comprehensive border plan that would have done a lot of what they are now negotiating to do three years later, which is provide more uh, border security, more border agents, speed up the process of asylum so that people are not just released into the United States to wait for years and perhaps sometimes not show up for their hearings. These are the things that Republicans were complaining about. But now that they're close to making that deal, Donald Trump has stepped in to tell some Republican senators, don't make that deal. It's going to make Joe Biden look good and me look bad and will hurt my reelection chances. Yeah. Well, in everything that I am reading, I mean, as close as we have gotten, even if the former president becomes the president again, will they get there at this point? Well, it depends on the makeup of the House and Senate. If if it's as divided a Congress as it is now and the Democrats can't get something that they want from the Republicans, I'm likely that that will happen. What What's the Senate saying today? Are they, are they saying we're going to push forward with this? Uh, some senators are, but some are, are, you know, look, everyone wants to keep their job. And if keeping their job means... Uh, gee, I don't want Donald Trump to primary me out of existence or to get on his bad side, because once you do that and you're in the Republican Party, you, you tend to not keep your job in the Republican Party. Um, it, it's bizarre, but he has the power to do this in state primaries where uh, it seems that most of the people that go and vote in these things are Donald Trump supporters. Now, that has not translated into general election success. Because he has supported people who have primaried other Republican candidates out of existence, only to find those candidates lose in the general election, because Donald Trump seems to have more sway over that particular base of his party than he does over the general election. We don't know if that's going to change this year, and that's the fear of a lot of Democrats, which is why they're a little leery of having Joe Biden run again. If it gets through the Senate... Would the House still have to sign off on it? Well, according to the House Speaker, he says from what he hears of the negotiations and, and the final product, although we haven't had any details of that product, that product, maybe he knows something we don't, he says it's dead on arrival in the House. Mm. So if that's the case, uh, we won't see any progress there, and Ukraine will continue to be starved for funds for fighting against Russia. And what's the timeline we don't have one. There is no timeline. I mean, the timeline was almost a month ago. Right. Where the United States ran out of money to do it. I mean, here's here's the irony of all of this. The U.S. put together a coalition of about 50 nations to help Ukraine in its fight against Russia. All of them are contributing. No, no one more than the United States. For the first time, we held that meeting this week. We were the only nation unable to give Ukraine a dime because Congress has run out of authority to do that. Wow. All right, Andy Field, ABC News, thank you. Have a great weekend. You too, guys. Can I tell you the sweetest story? And I know I talk occasionally about my godchildren and Sophie, who was at SSM Health Cardinal Glenn and Children's Hospital for the first nine weeks of her life. She's now 
feisty as all get out. Anyway, my cousin, my other godchild, took her down to Bloomsdale, I should say, up from where they were coming in Jackson. They met in the middle and met one of the nurses from Cardinal Glennon last week. And that's how close these doctors and nurses become with the families who spend time at SSM, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital. It's so cute because there's pictures of uh, Michaela holding Sophie when she was a newborn and then this cute picture. And Sophie did not leave her lap the whole time. And they oh, hadn't wow. seen each other since, which is so... Well, you just showed me a picture. Yeah. I mean, it's it's so cute. But that's just one of the many ways that Cardinal Glennon is special. It's not just a hospital. These are relationships. And, you know, you're there at a time when you are scared, you are nervous, you might be angry. And from top to bottom, bottom to top, they are there to make you feel as comfortable and safe as possible. And the other thing, I mean, Cardinal Glennon never turns a kid away, and they never say no to a therapy that might not be covered under insurance that the kid really, really needs. And they can do that because of the Cardinal Glennon Children's Foundation. So if at any point, you know, you think, hey, I I got a little extra here, the Cardinal Glennon Children's Foundation is a fantastic place to donate. You can learn more about all the great things that they do over at SSM Health, Cardinal Glennon Children's Hospital, glennon.org. Coming up in the 4 o'clock, we got our headline. Our headlines for this Friday afternoon, January 26th. Pizza joint from Sugar Fire Smokehouse coming to downtown St. Louis. Hot pizza, cold beer, a retro-style pizza place is set to open on Washington Avenue February 2nd. Menu offerings will include pizzas inspired by the most popular pizzas in America. So several different types of pizzas. In addition to throwback classics, uh, there will be locally made beers, sandwiches, appetizers, dips, wings, salads, and desserts. 24 taps will be dedicated to local beer. Hot pizza, cold beer will be in the Mercantile Exchange Building where Pie Pizzeria used to be. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the guys from Sugar Fire and High Point, mm-hmm. they've done barbecue, they've done burgers. They did chicken. Chicken yep. out. Mm-hmm. Which I still haven't been to. No, and now they're doing pizza. Now they're doing pizza. I'm very excited. More food news. A Atlanta-based burger chain called Small's Sliders, which makes their home in old shipping containers. Yeah. Is coming to St. Louis in Missouri. They are going to build one in the city of St. Louis, and they're considering Kirkwood, Clayton, Wentzville, St. Peter's, Ellisville, Florida. Is it kind of like a White Castle concept? No. these. Well, the burgers look more like a Shake Shack than they do a White Castle slider. And, uh, Connor, back me up on this. Is a Shake Shack, they have sliders? No. Well, no, it's because these sliders look pretty big. So okay. Yeah, so then I'm, what is technically a slider? I thought a slider was a smaller, was a smaller burger. burger. Yeah. It, it I think looks, of White Castle. Yeah. I'm pretty surprised that they're getting away with calling these sliders because they look pretty big. Okay. They look pretty sizable. Maybe it's the picture. Maybe. Maybe. And uh, they're coming with waffle fries. Okay. With 
uh, queso dip for the waffle fries, which, by the way, I don't know why more places don't have waffle fries with queso dip. Have you ever been to 54th Street Grill? Yes, but it's been a minute. They've got waffle fries and something called gringo cheese. Oh, 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 oh. Smalls Sliders will open two locations every year for the next uh, several years, so all eight restaurants will be operational by 2028. That's a pretty big push for St. Louis. It it looks like it says Atlanta-based, but all of their restaurants seem to be in Louisiana right now. Mm. It looks like a big group bought this franchise and is pushing it to Texas and Georgia and all these other states. I've never heard of it. I I've never it seen one. It's fast growing. Uh, the first one only opened in 2019. It is. So five years ago was the very wow. first one. And what did you say, Drew Brees? Drew Brees, and that was Drew Brees' like he was part of the original investment oh. group, I yeah. guess, once he retired. That was right around then. It looks re- really good, and I'm kind of sad that I have to wait until next year. It'll go quickly. Animals Aglow Lantern Fest coming to St. Louis. The zoo has a new evening lantern festival called Animals Aglow. This is a first for the St. Louis Zoo and will feature 60 Chinese lanterns with interactive light displays in the shape of animals and plants. Michael Masick, St. Louis Zoo director, said it's a celebration of wildlife, Chinese culture, and the artistry of lantern making. You'll be able to experience Animals Aglow March 13th. Through May 5th, tickets will go on sale starting January 31st and will be able to be purchased on the zoo's website. It looks beautiful. I can't wait to check it out. Just in time for the weather to start changing as Absolutely. well. Uh, Peacock. I mentioned Peacock last hour. Um, Heidi subscribes to it now because of that football game. Mm-hmm. But they have just announced that as of the fourth quarter, they lost another $825 million just in the fourth quarter alone, bringing their grand total 2,023 losses to $2.75 billion. And they are patting themselves on the back. Listen to this. Our investment in the network and our technology platforms built over decades enabled us to shine, delivering a seamless experience on the Internet and Peacock, demonstrating our company is in an excellent position to win this era. They lost almost $3 billion, and they're happy with it. Coming up, they're going to be streaming exclusively Oppenheimer starting February 16th, so you can watch it there, Heidi. And the 2024 Olympics, I guess you have to spend money to start making them. Didn't Netflix lose billions of dollars in the beginning? Well, and it is a good streaming site. Yeah. I'll say that. They claim I've heard that, that they, from several people, They've got actually. a lot of stuff. They've they, got a lot of stuff. They claim they have 3 million more new subscribers in the fourth quarter, which is Heidi's one of them. Because mm-hmm. she has to watch the football game. So to make up all that money, I'm guessing they're probably going to have more football games uh, in the future. You're probably correct. I'll tell you this. If you want to enjoy a vacation like I just had, the first phone call needs to be to Altair Travel and Cruises. I mean, they do everything right, and they make everything so easy. Because I know a lot of people... You stress out about, do I need a passport? Do I need, uh, you know, to convert my money? 
they will handle all of that for you. They will just hold your hand through the entire process. So you really want to start your trip today with Altair Travel. They've been around since 1979 and is really one of the largest full-service agencies, not just in St. Louis, but in the Midwest. They've won every award, and they can take you and your family or your loved one Wherever you want to go, if you want to go somewhere adventurous, check. If you want to go somewhere romantic, check. If you want to go uh, somewhere that you've never been before and experience the culture, they can do that, true. Altair Travel and Cruises, they have about 40 agents, and so between all of them, they've been everywhere. A matter of fact, when I was going to uh, Mexico, this was a new resort for us, and of course, you know, I'm asking Altair Travel, like, have you been there? Well, of course they have. And they could kind of give me the lay of the land. It is really just a top-notch team, and they will make everything about your next vacation, business trip, uh, just going to see family so much easier. AltairTravel.com. You can also call 314-968-9600. Coming up, Mike Ward joins us to talk a non-alcoholic sparkling wine. Your guide on the journey to wine appreciation, enjoyment, and knowledge. This is Ward on Wine with Mike Ward. Brought to you by Deerbergs on the Heidi Glau Show. Well, in honor of dry January and people making New Year's resolutions to lose weight and be more healthy, Mike Ward has been talking about wines with less alcohol a month. So, to wrap things up, we're talking a sparkling wine option from one of the well, most well-known cava producers from Spain. Fresenet? Yeah, it's Freshen, Freshenet. 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 There's an X in it. Yeah. Everybody says Freshenet. Uh-huh. The technical pronunciation is net. And so you can really call it either. Okay. Well, is this less alcohol, no alcohol? What are we talking about with this yeah, one? We've been talking about low alcohol wines all month. This one is actually no alcohol, but let's be, you know, I kind of did some research on it. It's 0.05% alcohol. Okay. So it's kind of like when you see a in a beer, there is a little, 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 little bit yeah. of alcohol still in it. And I think if people are really not drinking alcohol, that maybe that, that little 0.5%. You know, you want to be yeah, honest with people. meaningful. Right. Right. Yeah, it's a, something to consider. Now, is it a different process when you're dealing with a sparkling wine versus a regular wine? Well, as far as the, the removal of the alcohol, this new kind of revolutionary technology that they're using uh, all over the world, the process is similar. Make the wine just the way you traditionally would make the wine. With a sparkling wine, it involves a second fermentation in the bottle where it creates more alcohol and also all the flavors and aromas. And then we have to take it and remove that alcohol and put it back in the bottle. Got you. And so does this taste like their traditional cava? It does. It's very, very similar. But, you know, in, in all of the low alcohol or no alcohol brands, there are some differences. And I think... You know, people kind of get used to it. It's still fresh. It's fruity. It's got, uh, you know, all those, imp uh, you know, the bubbles that you look for, and you can make a mimosa with it. I was just going to ask that sure. question. Oh, yeah. But but it is going to have a di little difference in flavor. I think you got to get used to that. I'm not saying a bad 
difference in flavor, but yeah. you have to get used to it. It's just to set expectations. Yeah. It's different. Now, is this in all of uh, Bob's Barns? You know, it's new, and I was talking to some people I work with, and it is. I I don't want to mislead people. It's it's going to be in all stores. I think you can find it or ask for it right now. You do have to make the differentiation. This is an iconic brand yeah. that you normally see in that black bottle. Mm-hmm. And uh, if, if you've seen Freshenet in the black yes, bottle before. Yes, yes, yes. I know the, exactly what yeah. that black bottle looks like. With right. red labeling? Is there on the label? Is it, there? They have one with red labeling. Yeah. They do have one with, like, white. And I think they have one with blue. So this is not the black bottle. It's a little bit different. But you got to look for the words, you know, alcohol removed on the label. Gaia. So um, when we're talking about sparkling wines, there's so many. Di- there's sparkling wine and then there's kava. Is kava just a style of sparkling wine? It's all that. And so uh, in the late 1800s, to go back in history a little bit, they weren't making alcohol-removed wines back then. No. But, uh, there was a group of people in Barcelona, near Barcelona, in a region called Penedes, who realized that champagne was becoming very popular, traveled to champagne, learned how to make it, came back to Penedes near Barcelona, it's kind of west of Barcelona, and started making this same type of sparkling wine. Only the difference, one of the differences is using the grapes that grow there. For example, this Fresenet is two grapes that no one's ever heard of before. One's called Aaron and one's called Chirello. You don't have to worry about that. You're not oh, going to find boy. it on the bottle. But it's not made with Chardonnay and Pinot Noir like a champagne. The difference is, though, or the similarity, I should say, is that it's, it's second fermentation in the bottle. So the production is very similar, just different grapes in a different region. So cava is a region and a style of wine. So my question was going to be, if you put three side by side, champagne, cava, and a sparkling wine or a brute or whatever from, you know, Napa. And what's the yeah. Italy one? Oh, Moscato? Is, well, Moscato is always going to be sweet. Sweet, yeah. Well, I shouldn't say that. There's actually some dry uh, Moscato nowadays. What do they but, call champagne in Italy? Well, there are different regions. One of them, you're going to love this, there's a place called Francia Corta. Francia Corta starts with an F. It's made outside of Milan, and they make, that's their version of Sparkling sh- or champagne, champagne. Of champagne. Prosecco is, is made differently. Oh. So it's not really like champagne. I'm looking. I'm okay. talking about things that are as close so to champagne. As if you put all four of those yeah. next to each other, could you taste any difference? You really could. Okay. And now, it's hold not on. just Mike Ward really could, yeah. or the rest of us or could. I and the, Heidi, the three of us could. And I would say that if any listener that tried it, hey, invite me over. That sounds like a fun. Yeah. It's not. It's not just a name. It's not just semantics. Yeah. yeah and and now. There's a price difference in all four, and would you say to me, which one would you like the best? I'm going to say it could be all across the board. You could like the least expensive one. I mean, I'm not going to say, oh, the champagne, but you would love But is champagne it. the most expensive out of all of them? It would be, yes. So Probably. you would... Would you say that champagne is the champagne of champagne? Yeah. Oh. You could say that. <laughs> and it should be, you know. Uh, it except- started it all. It, in the sparkling wine, or did it not? It it did, and you know what I love to talk about is history because people think wine uh, is is something been around for a long time, and it has six thousand years, but sparkling wine is really in its infancy. 
We didn't really figure out how to make sparkling wine until about the 1840s and 50s. It's really? that new. Right. Champagne wow. as a region that's been growing grapes and making wine for hundreds and hundreds of years. But actual champagne as we know it today. So who is the father or the mother of champagne? Dom Perignon. Close. Oh. I mean, I was just about to say. People, Dom Perignon's wife. Dom Perignon was a monk. And he uh, was a one of the best winemakers and wine tasters in the history of, of winemaking. He could uh, make blends. He kind of invented the concept of blends. He could taste a wine and say, blind, and say, oh, this was made by this vineyard down the street and this person. I mean, he was a master wine taster, but he never made sparkling wine. The first sommelier. Well, first person, what he actually did was he came into the Champagne region as a monk in the abbey there, and he completely modernized the winemaking process in Champagne. That the problem is was amazing. The bottles kept breaking because at that oh, time yeah. they didn't have the thick bottles, they didn't have the punt. His, you know, he didn't really intend to make sparkling wine. He's a great person in the wine industry, but it wasn't until a person named Madame Vauclicot. In the 1840s, Dom Perignon died uh, late 1700s, uh, who perfected the method of making champagne. That's when we really find, and they found this great English glass to make the thick bottles, and it revolutionized the industry. And uh, people in England and Germany started drinking champagne, and also uh, still one of the biggest customers to champagne. is. So back in the day, did champagne cost more than wine? It was incredibly inexpensive back then and very commercially uh, um, uh, found every uh, a lot of different places. It has since been seen as, as a luxury brand. I think starting really in the 1920s, like post-prohibition, it kind of started to have more of a luxury. Uh, but, but, you know, before that, it was kind of – it was common. And the early champagnes were a lot sweeter than they are now. Veuve Clicquot is another name – and in champagne that we recognize, it's that's, got that yellow label on it. That's the widow who, she and her cellar master invented the product of second fermentation in the bottle and making is, sure they had bottles is, thick enough. Is this her brand or is this someone that just named it after her? That was her brand. Okay, you so know, it's still around. A lot of the brands today, you know, we've had Mum on before uh-huh. recently. That's an, that's an 1800s brand. and How long those, has... Freshenet been around. Same about a hundred years or so. Freshenet. Freshenet. I, I was Hard just tea. doing it like the, uh, <laughs> you know, he said I could say it any way I wanted to. I, yes, you can say it. You can always say it any way right. you want to. I got a chance to go to the winery. You did? And uh, this was maybe 12 years ago. And we drove up and go in the winery. It's a big winery. It is still one of the biggest wineries that I've ever been in in my life. And it's all underground. Oh, how they put cool. you in an elevator and take you about nine or ten stories below ground and then put you on a golf cart and then take you around underground to look at the winery. It's now, unbelievable. Do they only do sparkling? They or do cava. They do a few other wines that are still wines, but mostly sparkling. They also make a brand called Segura Viudis, which we've talked about on the phone. Oh, uh, we've, on the, yeah, on the show we've before. Sold, we sell that at the wine bar. And they make uh, a wine in Sonoma called Gloria Ferrar. That's part of their portfolio as well it's just so much to know when it comes to all of these different categories and you know throughout the month we haven't even talked about non-alcoholic beers i saw that schlafly just uh introduced a 
DNA. Do you think this yeah. is the way the industry is going? Absolutely. And we, we sell a brand called Wellbeing, and uh-huh. you can get that at Deerberg's and at Bob's Barn. It's and a great should, one, it actually. Is, it is. And, and, and I think and, – and I'm glad to see this trend of – Alcohol, low alcohol, low calorie, low sugar, just giving people options. Right. When you just, you want to have something and enjoy something, this you can have with some, you know, and with some orange juice or make a cocktail with it or a French 75, and you're not consuming a massive amount of alcohol. Exactly. All right. More with Mike Ward after we take a short break. course talking with Mike Ward on this Friday and uh, kind of wrapping up our dry January with freshenette sparkling white and rosé they do, do they have, have a, a couple of they do options? have a rosé yes they do have a rosé as well uh, and they add just a little bit of pinot noir in the in the dosage is called at the end and make it a, a nice hold on what is dosage <laughs> now this is another word I don't know what's so... the dosage <laughs> So after the wine is made, after it's in the cellar and it re-ferments and it spends about nine months in the cellar, it's got some sediment built up that's on the side of the bottle. And this is really what they invented in Champagne. They riddle the bottle. They move the sediment to the neck of the bottle. A machine does it nowadays. And then they freeze the neck of the bottle and take the temporary cap off. And they, that's when they can adjust it to be, make it a rosé. And then they put that mushroom-looking cork on it in the uh-huh. cage. And really, that's the end of the process that makes it a true traditional method sparkling wine. So that's its important, traditional method. Is dosage spelled like dosage? Yeah, yeah. Or uh, the French have a different word for it. They call it the liqueur d'expedition. So, and I always remember that because I'm like, oh, the, the wine is going on a trip. And that's how I remember <laughs> that's the end of the... It's going on an expedition. Oh, my. Now, we've talked about the alcohol being removed. I'm assuming then it has fewer calories. It does have fewer fewer calories. And this one's made a little bit different because it has to be taken out of the bottle. It has to run through the, the, uh, the centrifuge and remove the alcohol, put all the aromas back in, and then rebottle it. So it is, it's made not in the traditional method. And what you were saying before we went to break last segment, um, you can use this in a mimosa or you can use this in, in, a, in other drinks and you're not just loading your drink up with alcohol. A French 75 or I had something a couple nights ago at uh, 360 up here in Westport. They just opened up, uh, did the soft open. The champagne floaters. Yeah, When you do those in cocktails, you're doing it for the bubbles. You're doing it, I, in my opinion, for a, a consistency in the taste, something, you know, bubbly taste. I didn't necessarily need to add more alcohol to my drink. You're I didn't exactly need to right. add more calories to my drink. I yeah. wanted to add more bubbles. And this right. will do that. that this that is a great option for that because you've already got, yeah, for the French 75, you've got the cognac or whatever else you're you're using that's enough alcohol. You don't need to add more. And you don't want to use like a sparkling grape juice or something. You want something yeah. that tastes like wine, you know. And if you use a sparkling juice, it's got a bunch of sugar in it. So this is a great option for that. You get all the flavor. You get the bubbles. 
and you have a nice cocktail that isn't just overloaded with alcohol. And again, you can find these not in every Bob's Barn by Deerberg's, but coming to a lot more. You will, and that's why I think it's a good idea that we're talking about them now because if you're interested in these, and I hope that you are, and give them a try, please look for them or ask at the store, and they will have them, I was told, very soon. Or they could be here, be there now, but I want to make sure we're being honest. When you're looking for it, it's a uh, kind of a – the gold is the foil, and there's like a blue – on the label along with the, the white and the freshenette. And there's a little thing here that says alcohol removed. And I like that they're really explaining it. It's mm-hmm. not just some fancy name they're telling you. It's to remove the alcohol. And I'll just tell you from personal experience, if you are making one of these cocktails, like a French 75, and you're adding champagne to it, it's called a champagne floater. Because you add it at the end. Because if you put it in the shaker and start shaking champagne up, mm. um, I've had it explode all over my shirt. The champagne yeah. itself? Well, like it's, it, it's fizzy. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's like just think of shaking up a bottle of Sprite and trying to open yeah. it. Not a good idea. It, add so, it at the end. You know how much pressure is in a typical bottle is 90 pounds per square inch. So way more than like a car tire. So that's how much pressure is built up in that wine. Well, okay, so that brings up another question. You need to open this low alcohol, no alcohol, sparkling the same way you would. Still has bubbles, so be careful when you open it. Just don't aim it at anyone that in your house or yourself. (laughs) Don't aim it at anyone you like. Exactly. Well, (laughs) You know what I always tell people is have a napkin towel or something, put it over, and then, you know, when you – Twist that cage, and it's six turns. Mm. You'll notice it. Oh, Have your thumb on there. Turns? It's every six turns? Every single one? Turns. Do yeah. you know that when Hostess uh, Factory was here, and they had the, is it the ho-hos that have the squiggles on top of uh, the? Those are the cupcakes. Cupcakes. Yeah. There had to be, and I think it was eight. I don't remember exactly. And if it didn't, it went into it, the. It went to the outlet yes, store. Yes, it did. Yeah. It had to have, so six turns on every single champagne, cava, prosecco. Six atmospheres of pressure for a traditional sparkling, so six turns. Now, it's just tradition, really, but Prosecco is only two atmospheres of pressure, so less than half the amount of pressure, but they still probably, most of them have the, the six turns. Six but. turns. Okay, for your trivia night, so if that ever comes up. But you should check up. it. You should open one and make sure that I'm being well, honest hand me that you. bottle. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Well, it's been fun learning about all of the different options throughout dry January. Next week, we'll get back to the... Hard stuff. Yeah, we got as a good one. As far as one. that goes. We're getting ready for Super Bowl. We got, I, I'm not going to tell any, but we got a good one for next week. All Is right, it beer? I'm, He's not going to tell us. It might be whiskey. Is it whiskey? Oh, now we're talking. It might be whiskey. I got to tell you, Deerberg's has so many options when it comes to whiskey and beer and wine and the sparkling and all of the mixers. When you're walking through the aisle, you just see... Everything and the other thing that's really nice is if you're leaning into the the weekend and you're already starting your uh, happy hour. I have ordered my groceries on the DoorDash app with Deerberg's now probably five times, and it is so much easier than you think it's going to be. You just kind of get your list, and then you have your you know smartphone beside you, and you just go one by one. You know, as you're doing on Deerberg's.com, it's that easy, and the cheeses. 
And if you don't want to make the charcuterie board, guess what? They've already done it for you. They do everything for you if you want. I mean, we have recently even done like the the prepackaged vegetables that you can either toss on the grill or steam in the oven or the I thought I was just getting uh, chicken breast the other day that you take out and then, you know, either grill it or whatever. No, you actually bake it in the bag. You don't have to even open the bag until you're ready to eat. So Deerberg's is uh, always a favorite and you can do your shopping at Deerberg's.com or see some of the specials or just stop in any of the stores. Mike Ward, always fun to learn from you, my friend. Have a great weekend and uh, cheers to you. Thanks. Thanks, everybody. couple of local uh, kids to root for as we go into the weekend of lots of football. Did you see that um, one Highland, uh, Illinois native Sam Laporta was named a finalist for the Associated Press Offensive Rookie of the Year, which is really cool. He was selected by the Detroit Lions in the second round of the 2023 draft, number 34 overall. So that's pretty good yeah, and then he's, he's killing it he's probably the second best tight end in the league right now yeah and then jack fox is the third st louis area player on the detroit lions team that's playing for the nfc championship and he is a ladue high school alum played for the rams football team as a quarterback kicker and punter and now he punts for the lions so if you're looking for a a team to root for if you're tired of the chiefs you got a couple of uh, hometown guys. Connor, didn't you say you played against that punter on the Lions? I did. He was a quarterback at the yeah. time uh, at, for Ladue. We were there at the same time. And you, you I, played for I Clayton? I was Clayton. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So you played against him? Yes. Yeah. Did you, when you played him, did you say, this guy is going to be a punter someday? Uh, no, I didn't. <laughs> uh, there was someone else on his team that was like more highly ranked and thought of. Uh, played a d- defensive end, I think. So I think that Where'd was the guy go? we. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I know what ended up happening to him, but that was the guy that everyone was like, "Oh, we got to worry about him." Yeah, not the punter. The punter. Yeah. <laughs> so interesting. Beep, beep. All right, it's about uh, ten minutes before five. Let's get a check of traffic with Captain Paul. Heidi, the latest is a three-vehicle crash on the northbound 170 exit to westbound 270. It has the left lane blocked with the right lane getting through, but it's not causing a big backup. A two-vehicle crash on 44 West before 60 West downtown is off on the right shoulder. A check of the usual trouble spots shows 55 South is congested from Weber past Revis Barracks. 270 South is on the move with heavy volume from Page down past Manchester. And 64 West is congested at Kings Highway and Hampton. From the KTRS Traffic Center, I'm Captain Paul Kopsky on the Big 550 KTRS. Well, you might have heard uh, ABC News at the uh, top of the hour. Donald Trump has been ordered to pay $83.3 million in damages to uh, E. Jean Carroll. Royal Oaks, ABC News legal analyst in L.A., joins us with the latest. I mean, can his attorneys fight this or he is really going to have to pay up? Well, the first step, of course, is for him to file a notice of appeal. And when you appeal, the court says, well, that's interesting, but, uh, you know, you might go broke, so you're going to have to post a bond and, you know, put the money aside, and he'll do that just like he did last year when he lost $5 bucks 
to the same woman, Ms. Carroll, uh, beat him in a defamation case then as well. So he'll post the bond. The appeal will go on for a year or two. And then if he loses, he'll have to pony up the money. Uh, it'll be there in some sort of an escrow account. Same thing with the $5 million. Uh, so, yeah, the, the appeal process will go forward. And, uh, you know, the good news for her is uh, unless something very weird happens, Donald Trump is good for the money because uh, whether he's worth a billion or two or three billion, he, he certainly should have $83 million lying around. $83 million seems like a lot in this sort of case. Is this kind of the jury saying, look, we're done? It does seem to reflect a level of anger. And ironically, Donald Trump was sort of beaten up on last uh, year when he had the uh, the defamation trial. He didn't show up. Not only didn't testify, he never even showed up for any of the sessions. And the jury hit him with five million bucks and people thought, oh, wow, the jury was unhappy with him. Maybe because they felt, you know, we're putting our lives on hold. Why wouldn't Donald Trump take a few days out and uh, and spend it with us in court? But this time he attended most of the days and he testified earlier this week very briefly. It was only for a few minutes. The judge said to him, look, it's already been determined that you defamed her. The jury said you assaulted her. So she wins. The only question is how much she should win. And you may talk about that. The jury may not have liked what they heard. He basically just wanted to talk about how, no, the first jury was wrong. I, I didn't defame her. She, I never assaulted her. And also they may have been unhappy with him walking out of the courtroom, for example, when the plaintiff's lawyer, Ms. Carroll's lawyer, was giving a final argument. He had uh, stage whispers that the judge was yelling at him about you you're whispering too loudly. Uh, so uh, a, a lot of that contention may have filtered through to the jury in that may have motivated $65 million as the biggest chunk of the $83 million. That's punitive damages, which is when a jury is told, look, in addition to regular damages, whatever she suffered in terms of emotional distress, hurt her reputation, if you feel that you need to send a message to Donald Trump by hitting him with more damages, punitive damages, saying he acted maliciously, he knew what he was doing, you may do that. And boy, did they take advantage of that opportunity. So after the first case, they drag him back in because he won't stop talking about it and won't stop uh, defaming her. And uh, then they hit him with this thing. Will we see a third go around of this? Yeah, it's possible we will because uh, remember when he uh, lost the five million bucks uh, the next day or maybe later uh, the same day, he marches out to the press and he says, well, this is terrible because, you know, she's lying. I, I never uh, accosted her. Well, that's a third case. The irony here is this is it's totally bollocked up time wise. It's like there's a time war. The, the big decision here today on the 83 million bucks that relates to the very first time he defamed her when he was president in 2018. The $5 million related to a later defamation because of a quirk in the scheduling, the case, one of the cases got put on hold up the appellate ladder, which means this jury acted as if they were saying, Donald Trump, you just don't get it. You defamed her again. You didn't learn your lesson about the $5 million, and therefore we're hitting you with $83 million. But that's not right. Because the thing they hit him for today, the statement that he made that was defamatory that led to the $83 million today was made years before the $5 million. So it's not like he was a serial offender in terms of this particular case. So it's very bollocked up and confusing. And actually, that gives an argument to Donald Trump on appeal because he can say he thinks the jury was confused. The judge was wrong to say as to this trial that finished up today, well, Donald Trump is a loser. The only question is how much should he have to pay? Uh, there is an argument that 
this judge should have required this jury to decide on their own whether or not Donald Trump defamed this woman when he said, you're a liar, in 2018. Royal, have we heard from the former president or his attorneys? Yeah, he went immediately out on social, uh, Truth Social, his uh, preferred social media platform, and said, uh, this is a con job, a witch hunt, uh, you know, this is not America, uh, freedom of speech. And, you know, the, the amazing thing is, everything, every time something bad happens to him in court, including much more serious things like indictments for crimes that he could go to prison for the rest of his life for, he gets a bump in the polls, and more money flows in for his campaign. So, who knows what people will think of this. And if you think $83 million is big, up in the, the, the civil fraud case by the New York Attorney General um, against Donald Trump, they're, they're asking for about $375 million. So this could be a very expensive series of cases for Donald Trump. Royal Oaks, ABC News legal analyst, tell me this. Would Trump be out of trouble if he would just keep his mouth shut? It sure would help, because if he would follow his lawyer's advice, and the lawyers give the same advice to everybody, especially in high-profile cases, let us do the talking, because no matter how smart a client is, if they're not a lawyer, there are landmines, and they can say things that the other side uh, can exploit. And so, yeah, but that's not how he rolls. And obviously, when people give him that kind of advice or any kind of advice about, gee, you know, throttle it back, his answer is always the same. I got here and am the success I have been by doing it my way. And it's kind of hard to argue with that strategy. Uh, you know, multi-billion dollars, president of the United States, he's leading all the polls for a second term. But at the same time, he's looking at some blockbuster verdicts and some potential time behind bars. Wow. Well, it is the uh, story that seems to never end. Royal Oaks, ABC News, legal <laughs> analyst, thank you so much for your report. You bet. Thanks. I'd be curious. I think Royal just said that uh, uh, while they wait for appeal, does Trump have to put $83 million in an escrow account? He said he had to put some. He didn't say all of it. Because, like, billionaires, like Elon Musk doesn't really have $200 billion. Jeff Bezos doesn't. You mean, like, cash right yeah, there available? Yeah, yeah. I'd be interested with all the holdings and the thing. How much does Trump have in his in his checking account? Hmm. You know? I how, doubt he'd tell you. How much? How much is... Is actually in there that I think we we're can still get waiting hands. to find out what he paid on taxes. Oh, well, don't hold your breath. It is quitting time. So many people leaning into the weekend. We've got more to talk about, though. We've got the top five at five. We've got some entertainment news. And I actually just saw a special performance added to the Grammys. I'll tell you about that coming up in the entertainment report. Then we'll wrap this show up with some randoms. Hope you'll hang out with us for another hour here on the Big 550 KTRS. And now for the top five at five news from around the room. Why don't you jump in? Okay. There is a guy in China. They call him Uncle Chen. And he runs marathons. But the difference between Uncle Chin and the rest of the marathon running community. You okay? Uncle Chin runs marathons while chain smoking a pack of cigarettes. No. Have you seen you haven't seen this? No. So he has come to prominence. He won this 
most recent marathon with a very well didn't win it, but he placed five hundred and seventy four out of fifteen hundred, so he's in the top third. A respectable three hours and twenty eight minutes, which is better than I can do. He's fifty years old, and he chain smokes cigarettes the entire time. Do you think yeah. it helps him? Like it's like uh it keeps his mind off I mean, of things. Yeah, because it can't actually help you breathe when you're. When oh you're God, doing no! It. I mean, oh my God! I mean, you ask any runner, yeah, and they'll tell you the last thing anybody wants to do is spark up. Uh, his smoking and running habit became known first in 2017. Then he ran a 2018 marathon and finished three hours 36. A 2019 marathon. Was even faster at three hours. Is he just minutes. trying to prove everyone wrong? I don't. I don't know because I don't think they've actually talked to him. Or at least this article has. I mean, I'm sure back in the 50s, right? All those people. Were, oh yeah. Were smoking cigarettes. The Olympic Not runners. While they were running. Well, they they'd run, take a break. You know, I mean, take look, a smoke, I've seen look, people juggle while they run. Like he's got his shorts on, his little number. Yeah, and they're puffing well, away. Well, let's not forget they used to smoke in the dugout, Major League Baseball. Not while they were running. <laughs> I don't know. You don't think like Babe Ruth was uh, like smoking a stogie while taking an at bat at the bat? Yeah, I was just like, hey, hold on. Yeah, puts it down. Maybe in the batter's box. Yeah, but this guy is not saying hold on. He's doing it while. In the act. Yeah, I, Somebody the, sounds, said it sounds like I'm chain smoking while I'm running, too. Yeah, I was going to say, Heidi yeah. sounds like she's had a pack or two. Uh, That's a vice I've never had. Yeah. His smoking habit has mixed reviews, obviously. People on social media saying it's inconsiderate to fellow runners, <laughs> which... That's true. Well, yeah, because the really You wouldn't want to be anywhere around him. I'm stuck behind Uncle Chen again. Uh, speed up. And others questioning whether it's a doping violation. Oh, like what does tobacco do for your... Are we sure it's tobacco? Or nicotine? What does that what do? What else would it be? <laughs> I mean... I'm, like marijuana? Yeah. Is high? I, who knows? I think that would definitely be make it worse. Make there it are, slow down? Make it slower. Currently, no rules prohibiting marathon runners from smoking, probably because they never expected that they'd have to make that rule. The unusual part to me is that he's... Like, it's in his mouth. I thought yeah. he'd have been, you know, running in the hand and maybe taking. Oh, there's some, other some shots smokes. where it's in his hand and everything. Okay. But yeah, and like there's a, a shot of him uh, opening the pack and pulling out another one. So it's not like, like you know, it's just one that he's holding on to. I mean, it's three and a half hours of him running there. You know, he's probably smoking, you know, ten or fifteen. Wow. So Gosh. Uncle Chen. Okay. Well, Chen. I have a different kind of athletic story. Hunter Moore is like any other teen. He loves to play sports. He's made the varsity team. Uh, Does he smoke cigarettes? No. <laughs> he actually just uh, took first place in a bodybuilding competition. Now, what makes this interesting and impressive is he was told he would never walk because he had cerebral palsy, which is kind of crazy. He suffered a stroke. As an infant that left him partially paralyzed on his left side. And he was born into a military family. And so he basically was brought up with just a bunch of don't you ever give up. You know, kind of that prove them wrong 
attitude. And that's exactly what drove Hunter to spend most of his childhood building a body that was capable of the rigors of athletics. For seven years, he always made his school soccer teams and now plays as the long snapper for his junior varsity football team while regularly posting pretty impressive weightlifting numbers. Weightlifting numbers. (laughs) Now, is he getting on these teams as kind of a... I don't want to say charity. No, he is making it. I, I try to save paper so I don't have it printed out. I mean, he he is a bodybuilder. He deadlifted mm. 405 pounds. What's his kid's name? Hunter Moore. Hunter Moore. <clears throat> well, I mean, it's not charity if you're... No, if you can if do it. If you're doing those kinds of feats, right? So He said, I will define myself and not let cerebral palsy or anyone else define me. I think it's pretty darn cool. Oh, look at this kid. Is he, is he strong? Yeah, look at him. Yeah, wow. Yeah. You guys continue to talk. I'm going to get water. Looks That's better, okay. Looks uh, better shape than us, Josh. Um, A lot better shape, yes. All right. Uh, all right. Have you ever had an English breakfast, Josh? So I haven't. I know what they are. There's beans in it, right? Right. I kind of set you. I kind of teased this earlier to you this off is, the air. They, so a full English breakfast. How is it different? I know there's beans and there's probably sausage in it. Sometimes that's... they also call it just a full breakfast, which to me feels misleading because uh, I think people not from England would not be expecting this. But it's uh, you know it's it's over easy eggs, which is normal. Mm-hmm. Some sausage, which is normal. Some what they call bacon, which is really Canadian bacon. So think so of big ham. ham slices. Both of those are fine. And then after and then some fried toast, which I guess is also okay. But after that you get Wait, salt. wait, wait. In addition to all of that In addition to all of this, which to me that's like already a pretty big breakfast. You're also talking about some fried tomatoes, some sauteed mushrooms, and something called black pudding, which is just another type of sausage. Mm. As well as baked beans, baked oh, beans. How can I forget? Can't the beans. forget about the baked beans, and then they also serve it with like a barbecue sauce. I thought an English breakfast was more of like a soft boiled egg in the mm. oh, in the little cup, in the little yeah. That's because it's fancy, but no, the full no, that's the full fancy. The full English. English breakfast is as I described: eggs, sausage, ham. Look at tomatoes, uh, beans, why are mushrooms. These, these are like the mushrooms aren't like mixed in like an omelet. No. It's just a mushroom on a plate. It's just it is like diced and sautéed mushrooms. All right, you guys like mushrooms. You know I hate mushrooms. You guys I, like mushrooms. I will eat them. It's not my favorite thing. Like, I don't crave mushrooms. Would you eat them straight? Mm, no. Okay. I'd but eat a portobello mushroom. It's not something I'm going to order. These are just mushrooms hanging out on the plate. Not mixed in, not part of a sauce, not no, sauteed. Yeah, that's the other thing. This is all just hanging out on a plate. This seems like a pretty big... It's is a, this what they eat every morning? It's a big <laughs> breakfast. Frankly, it has five things in it that I would never have on my breakfast plate. But there is a English Breakfast Society. It's the organization dedicated... There's an organization for everything. Dedicated to the history and heritage culture of the English breakfast, which also kind of sets the menu on what can be in an English breakfast officially. Does it change year to year? Not not year to year, certainly not. But recently they rejected the hash brown, 
Oh. Uh, they said hash browns, not a no, thing. No, we can't if, have hash browns. I, can, I was going to read the quote in an English accent. <laughs> we, wouldn't, we wouldn't have enough room for our mushrooms. But they said it was a McDonald's creation, and somehow we find it in our English breakfast, and it's unacceptable, so they don't want hash browns in it. I love hash that browns. That was something they ruled in a couple of years ago. What happened now was they ruled that you can now replace the tomato with grilled pineapple. That is now an acceptable part of oh, the English mm. breakfast. I would, I would do that. They said of tomato in the 1600s. Uh, the King of England would do this because pineapples were so expensive and wealthy. You, you know, he would do it as a status symbol. Yeah, how would you get a pineapple in England? Yeah, very expensive. He said they, they commissioned a portrait of him holding one. Um, wow, <laughs> it's as if he was holding. Uh, you know, his yes. his gems and his Look gold. Look at my pineapple. Yes. Uh, so they said now if you don't like the tomato aspect, you can replace it with a slice of grilled pineapple. To me, that makes it worse because I don't really like pineapple. Certainly not warm and grilled. And you don't like plate. pineapple? I don't either. What? Mm-mm. I mean, it's fine, Some, like in a fruit nope. salad, but I'm not going to eat it with any real food. Oh, I really like pineapple. Like, um, like uh, we will we'll do rice with chicken and barbecue sauce, and throw some pineapple in there. No nope. pineapple for breakfast. Mm-mm. Pineapple on a pizza, I think, is fantastic. No, yeah. definitely not. No, no. Yeah. I'll tell you what I loved when we were on our river cruise through Europe is they serve cheese for dessert. Oh yeah, oh, wow. yeah. That's my kind of dessert right there. Is it sweet or just regular? No, cheese? regular cheese. Regular. They do it the opposite way. Instead oh, like of an the appetizer, comes yeah, at the end. comes at the end. Wow, yeah. it's it's cool. Do they give do, like? Do they give you some like prosciutto with it, or is it no? Just, it's no, just it's cheese. Just cheese. Wow. All right, I'm looking at the painting of Charles II. Who do we have now? Charles the Third. I don't know what right? number we're That's on. What, King Charles III yes. is what we are, Charles so. Windsor. Yes. It's a portrait of Charles II, and he's got his gardener is handing him a pineapple. And this is the height of his luxury, luxury. And wealth and <laughs> opulence a, the pineapple. that he has a pineapple. And you don't. And you do not. Yeah. All right. Well, you know what? So now, I, so now, Josh, they didn't say you could sub the mushrooms, though. So this is still the holdup for you. So now I'm stuck eating mushrooms. You've got to have the mushrooms on the plate at the very least. What about baked beans, Heidi? Do you like baked beans? I do. Yeah, I do, too. And you can make them so many different ways. I know. I wouldn't mind having baked beans for breakfast. I know it seems odd. Well, it's kind of like the cowboy breakfast, isn't it? Sitting over a fire and you put some beans. On your breakfast plate? Well, I think you would eat. Baked beans at any point. All right. This weekend. Probably not tomorrow because we have to go to uh, drop the car off at Kia right after the yard sale. Sunday morning, I'm going to say, honey, you you sit and relax. Mm-hmm. I'll make breakfast. And then you're going to make baked beans? I'm going to put baked beans on it. I'm going to put... Beans, pineapple. Grilled pineapple. Blood, some sort of blood, blood sausage. sausage <laughs> blood pudding sausage, which looks disgusting. And you, how do you think the rest of your day will go? What the heck is that? How come when... How come every time you make breakfast, it's something stupid? Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. All right. Um, I want to do a back in the day because I got some good ones. And one that is very St. Louis... Specific. Specific. (laughs) 
tough to say. Yeah. St. Louis specific. Can I get the theme, please? Back in the days when I was young, I'm not a kid anymore. But some days I sit and wish I was a kid again. Before we do get to the St. Louis stuff, there is some kind of sad stuff. Four okay. years ago on this date, January 22nd, 2020, Kobe Bryant died oh, in the helicopter crash. I saw crash. that today. I was, I was at a schnooks. And it buzzed on my phone, and I swear, like four other people in the aisle were also looking. Oh my gosh! You know, I we think all... uh, Darren and I were actually doing our car show live. Oh my gosh! And it came on, and we it took a turn. Still, kind of unbelievable. It really is unbelievable. Eighteen years ago, same date, twenty two thousand six. Oprah confronted James Fry, the author oh, of A Million Little gosh, Pieces. Oh, that book was so good. But it was so fake. So fake. Isn't every memoir just a little fake? Oh, my gosh. That's a big statement to make. <laughs> no. His was a lot. I mean, it's got, it's a li- it got to be a little bit, right? You embellish a little. A little. You embellish, but to just call it out. I embellish The guy a lot who says he show. hasn't read a story or a book oh, yeah. ten years. in seven. 10 years. Oh, it's I don't, 10 years now. Yeah. I don't Yesterday think that was, you should be weighing in. It was seven, yeah. For the record, I did not read a million Well, I did. And actually, it probably But it was started, a really good book, it right? It probably started my love of memoirs. Yes. Of all things. It was that So good. are we going to pillory James Fry? Just yes, because, because he, he claimed that it was he. Usually you put a disclaimer about names being changed or certain situations have been embellished. Okay, this is the question I've always wanted to ask. If you knew going into it that it was semi-autobiographical or a complete work of fiction, would you have enjoyed it less? Mm, Probably because it's about the feelings and the things that he's going through. And sometimes when I'm watching a movie or reading a memoir... You haven't read one. I read the first chapter of uh, Keith Richards. That's not reading. That's one chapter. I was... You know, I'll look up and I'll say, oh my... And this is a true story. You know, it does... It does hit different. It does. Uh, The Dukes of Hazzard premiered. What year? 1979, Heidi. Speaking of memoirs. They started jumping hay bales. 45 years ago on this date, Phantom debuted on, uh, open on Broadway. It's the longest running show in Broadway history. And on this date, 1998, Bill Clinton uttered the infamous words, Uh, I did not have sexual relations with that woman on this date, 1998. Now, the St. Louis specific stuff. On this date in 1999, a year after Bill Clinton's infamous lie, mm-hmm. Pope John Paul visited St. Louis. Yes, he did. January 26, he landed here in town. Speaking of Bill Clinton, Bill Clinton met him yes. at Lambert Airport uh-huh. and other leaders. Uh, there's a picture. Rosa Parks. Rosa Parks? Yeah. Stan Musial got to meet. I think uh, Mark McGuire. There's a picture of Mark McGuire kissing, kissing his ring. Kissing the ring. Mm-hmm. Um, I think when he got here, didn't he do uh, a mass for a youth rally? It was crazy at the Dome. It was packed. So the youth rally was at the Keel. Um, okay. The mass was at the Dome. The mass was at the Dome. 104,000 people. Uh-huh. 
And uh, that was on the second day. Uh, the temperature was 54 degrees on the 26th. And the media scared everyone degrees. away. Yeah, they said, duh, you don't want to come down here because it's going to be a madhouse. And everybody's memory of it was, boy, that motorcade was passing by a lot of empty um, blockades because nobody really showed up. Well, we just kept saying that there were going to be so many people to plan a Appropriately, And then I think everyone decided just to watch it on TV. So instead. You, you are saying we told everybody. Yeah. Because you were part mm-hmm. of the media at that point. What Now you were in town working for Channel 5. Mm-hmm. In what capacity? Uh, I was on Show Me St. Louis as a reporter at that point. But every, it was all hands on deck with what, the Pope. What was your assignment? I was on the street. Days? Somewhere I did a story that aired in our special about the Basilica and all of the beautiful mosaics, mosaics yeah. that was that's what ran during that. But then I was posted on a corner kind of as he passed by. Was it an empty his, was it an empty corner? No, I mean, there were it was two or three deep, but it wasn't like the masses that we were expected, yeah. you know, as far as that goes. But it was a moment. For sure, just to be that close to him. On that trip, he came to St. Louis from Mexico City. But the question was, well, did he go anywhere else after? He, did he go to Philly? Did he go to Boston? Did he go to New York, D.C.? No. He went to Mexico City for four days, came to St. Louis for two days, and then went back to Rome. Yeah. So it was his seventh visit to the United States. Why he picked St. Louis? I don't know. Anybody remember eight four well, one I, two six? I know that part of it when he spoke, he even said about the excitement in St. Louis because of the recent baseball season and the Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire oh, the, home run. And I oh, you think the Pope? Do you think he was a baseball, baseball guy? Pope I do John think Paul? he he was, was Polish, right? He was I, yeah, yeah, that's where he was born. But I know that he used that either in an opening or as homily, talking about you can feel the same great enthusiasm. As you train for a different goal, the goal of following Christ and the goal of bringing his message to the world. Oh, really working the, the hometown crowd. You, I guess you don't get to be Pope John Paul II without uh, knowing a thing or two about Back in those days, how do you think he got the games in the Vatican? Did, he, did they satellite? Uh, they had a they gigantic satellite yeah. dish. Yeah. Uh, so one other note, uh, like you said, Rosa Parks was here, Stan Musial, got to meet the Pope. Um there was supposed to be a uh, execution mm-hmm. set for the day that he was here in town. Triple murderer Daryl Meese. This is a story that we could dive into. Probably, there's probably a podcast about it. He asked Governor Mel Carnahan to stay the execution, and he did. And now uh, he is serving a life prison sentence. He's 63. He's still at the prison in Potosi. Really? So Daryl Meese has... Pope John Paul II to thank for still being around. Yeah, somebody said on the text line, the Woods Basement Systems text line, 84126, I remember the news saying traffic will be backed up and stopped for miles because of the Pope being here. So, What's the uh, Yogi Berra line? Uh, no one goes there anymore. It's too crowded. It's too crowded. Yeah. 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 <laughs> no, no one went down there. It was too crowded. It's too crowded. Nobody went. Uh, I got one more cute story. A couple said that they always knew they wanted their uh, – Golden Retriever to be a part of their wedding. 
So when it came time to plan their wedding day, the bride and groom, Christy and Eric, knew they wanted CeCe to play some role. And because the couple tied the knot in Colorado, one of the few states that allows couples to, I guess, uh, self-unite, which I didn't even know that was a thing. Self-unite? Mm-hmm. They were able to not only have CeCe be present, but be the one who made their... no. Marriage official. You're going to tell me that the dog was was the reverend? There is a, no, not the, <laughs> the reverend, but the there's Church a video. of the Eternal Light online. They use the dog as a witness. Yes. Yes. To use his paw print <laughs> to sign the marriage license, which is so cute. When you don't need a witness, this allows you to get creative and utilize the spot for your pet's paw. Prince. How about that? So our ceremony combined our three favorite things, our closest friends and family, Cece and the mountains. As an especially meaningful moment for the bride was when uh, her now husband's father stepped up to speak after months of a health struggle. So, I mean, this was just a all-loving city. Uh, but I guess uh, Cece, the golden retriever, also ran down the aisle toward the bride's mom and dad after they took their places and then sat just kind of, you know, during the ceremony. And then when it was all over, they used the dog's paws to seal the deal. Do you take this woof? Uh, Exactly. A couple of people uh, on the text line, and I'm so glad that you guys reminded us of this. Pope John Paul II was friends with Archbishop Justin Regali. And Regali used to work for the Pope, and he invited him here. Oh. So that makes more we had sense. A, we had an in. Yeah, we had an in. So last night, I'm going to mention uh, Funny Girl one more time, because the orchestra was so good. And my mom was like, can you believe, like, there are real people playing this beautiful music. I'm like, I've got to take you to the symphony, because it is just this incredible for, you know, hour and a half, two hours, and they're doing a really fun thing called musical fables it is going to be a feast for not only your ears but your eyes because there's a celebrated animator and whose animation is going to play on a screen and then this music just adds to all of it they're also going to do peter and the wolf uh, accompanied by an academy award-winning short film it's taking place at steeple theater uh tomorrow night seven thirty. And then Sunday at 3 o'clock. And you don't even have to drive if you don't want to. You can reserve your seat on the Symphony Shuttle from Plaza Frontenac or St. Louis Community College in Forest Park. Now, shuttle tickets are $15 per passenger and depart about 75 minutes prior to the concert. But if you don't want to deal with parking, that's fantastic. You can go ahead and uh, get your tickets, slso.org. But it is really going to be something to see. I mean, just the music alone is one thing. But then when you add it with these animations, it's going to be a show to remember. And again, it's tomorrow at 7.30, Sunday at 3 p.m., and you can learn more, slso.org. Let's talk a little entertainment news and uh, the performances for the Grammys, which are next uh, Sunday. Is that February 4th? 
Yes. Okay. Just added you two to perform live from Las Vegas Sphere. That's ahead of their final residency shows. Now, that's already adding to Billy Joe, Billy Eilish, Dua Lipa, Luke Combs, Olivia Rodrigo, Travis Scott, and the awards are going to be hosted by Trevor Noah. Um, now, I don't know why I'm surprised by this, but every time I watch the Grammys, I realize. Man, there's a lot of performances on oh, this. It's all, that's all it's, it is. It's really more performances, but that's why you watch. Yeah. You're not watching to see somebody just get up there. Does it come across, and, though? Do you like watching live I performances do. on the screen? Yes. Because for me, it doesn't, uh, it's not the same. Well, it's not the same, but I yeah. definitely, matter of fact, today while I was working out, I went down a rabbit hole of Janelle Monet and live. her live performances. Yeah. Mm. But Martin Scorsese surpasses Steven Spielberg as the living director with most Oscar nominations. Killer of the Flower Moon marks his 10th Oscar nomination for Best Director. I still got to see that, too. Nicole Kidman's daughter needs more big little lies, and so do I. Nicole revealed that she'd recently watched the hit HBO series with her 15-year-old who was immediately obsessed with the show, saying she has a very good understanding of things and life, so she was handheld through it, noting that there were still scenes that she made her daughter cover her eyes. Have you seen Big Little Lies? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she needed to probably close her eyes a couple times. Her daughter's first response was to demand more episodes, and Nicole was like, no, there's no more discussion. And then her daughter said the third series has to happen. Sick of circling it. Just get it done. And uh, I guess we need a teenager to go enough. Just do it. And that seems to have done the trick because at the Golden Globes, Reese Witherspoon teased to Variety that she and Nicole are actively developing more of the show. So wasn't it based off a book, Big Little Lies? I feel like it was based off a book. And then they came out with season two and now they're doing season three. Uh Is this kind of like... They're expanding the story. The story I, is the I original the, author involved. I have no idea. Mm-hmm. I think it's more about this group of women and the trouble they get into. Yeah. But this is kind of crazy. Carrie Bradshaw, you know, Sex and the City skirt from that opening credits where she kind of. The tutu. Yes. The infamous tutu skirt. Just sold at auction. For $52,000. Oh, you know what? Oh, my God. You I thought it would be more? I think that's low. Well, it originally <laughs> cost $5. It's iconic. It is iconic. But talk about an investment. You only spent 5 bucks on that thing. Hey, what do you do with it? Do you display it? Do you wear it? Now this, the- so when you go to museums, you'll see, you know, you read the description of a painting, and then at the bottom of it, it says... You know, on loan from the private collection of exactly Josh and Diana Gilbert. One day, uh-huh. one day. Okay. Picasso's, uh... So I would hope that somebody who buys that will give it to like the Smithsonian or some sort of pop art museum or something. Just put it up in their house. <laughs> uh, you see that over there, draped across the back of that chair? Yeah, kind of itchy, but yeah, that's Carrie's tutu. Ozzy Osbourne. Had and this is what you can do when you're famous. Had Robin Williams come over and tell jokes to Sharon to cheer her up when she was battling cancer in 2002. Oh wow, kind of sweet, right? Yeah. 
Season two of Squid Game is coming this year. You guys were both into it, weren't you? Now, this is one where I think it's dumb to have a second season. You do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is based off of the thing. They do the whole thing. It ends. But because it's so popular, they're like, they're well, now we it. need to do more. Mm-hmm. And that's a. I feel like that's a bad recipe like for I, a start. I forget how the last one ended. Did, did I, the whole don't, operation don't anything. get caught? Don't, don't say anything. Okay. Jennifer Lopez is producing an animated Bob the Builder movie with actor Anthony Ramos, who kind of became famous for Hamilton and the lead and Bob's full name will be changed to Roberto which is kind of fun. Roberto the Builder. Uh Is Bob the Builder still big with kids? Does Finn watch Bob the Builder? Uh, Not yet. We we just watched Bubble Guppies for the first time this morning. Did you like it? Bob the Builder is alliterative. When you change it to Roberto the Builder... Well, I feel like you're losing something there. Bugs Bunny. Well, maybe can, they'll still call him still Bob. Call him Bob Robert, right? I mean, Robert Bunny. You lose something there. Well, maybe they'll... Beto the Builder. Beto, 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 Beto the, the Builder. Yeah. Let's right. do that. Griselda is now streaming on Netflix. It's Sofia Vergara starring in this limited series about Colombian businesswoman Griselda Blanco, who this took over Miami back in the 70s and ran one of the most profitable drug cartels in history. Now, Netflix and Sophia are being sued by the family. But what else is interesting is Sophia said she's been wanting to do this for years because I think she lost her brother to some kind of crime. Drug crimes, yeah. She didn't elaborate activity, too much, but activity. Yeah. Griselda sounds like a woman who would be leading a drug cartel. The Trailers look fantastic. Doesn't sound like a nice No. Word. <laughs> oh, it's Griselda's back. Mm-hmm. Casey Musgraves, I'm excited about this, has released a cover of Bob Marley's Three Little Birds. Can we play a little piece of it, Connor? I'm happy she's got new music out. This is going to be part of Bob Marley One Love. Uh, which is a biopic coming out February 14th. I think that'll be interesting. Yeah, I guess I did see. There, there is a Bob Marley movie coming out. Yeah, did you? And then watch out one year from now, that actor yeah. will get nominated oh, for an Oh, there Oscar. you go. For an Oscar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, because Connor thinks that there's a, a what, a conspiracy? It's not, not a conspiracy. all best it's actor a, winners are it's a playing bi- a real it's person. A, it's, yeah. a, it's a bias by the Academy to nominate yeah. those kind of performances. Okay. Justin Timberlake just dropped a new song from his upcoming album, which will be his first in six years. And he said he recorded 100 songs for it. And he says it's his best work. Now, he did end up narrowing it down to 18. By the way, tomorrow night, he is the musical guest on SNL. Dakota Johnson is the host. But you know he's going to step into he's, a lot of skits. Of course, bring it on down to Hamlet, babe. I can't believe he's not both host and... Right? Yeah. That's, right. Why would they skip that opportunity? I, I don't know. Unless he's too busy. For, I, who knows? Of course, Sunday at 2 on CBS, AFC Championship game. The Baltimore Ravens host the Kansas City Chiefs. Who do you want to win? <laughs> <laughs> Sunday at 5 on Fox, the NFC. San Francisco 49ers host the Detroit Lions. And then a few celebrities celebrating a birthday today. Wayne Gretzky is 63. Ellen DeGeneres is 66. Anita Baker, also 66. And then Bob Eucher 
is 90. That's your evening entertainment report here on the Big 550 KTRS. One of the great stories about Lordo's Diamonds is when the longtime boyfriend gets down on his knee and asks for his longtime girlfriend's hand in marriage. And she says, is that ring from Lordo's? Only when the boyfriend says, yes, it is, does she accept his hand in marriage. True story. And that's because Lordo's Diamonds is one of those family jewelers. to talk about this earlier have you guys because a friend showed me this the other day and i was like what the super bowl logo color conspiracy oh yeah i've seen this is this new this year i mean i know that now people are looking back and saying here so basically people believe the colors in this 2024 logo or a nod to the teams that will ultimately play in the game this year's logo features a shade of purple similar to the Ravens, along with a hint of red, close to the 49ers. Now, if you think about it, I mean, a lot of teams have red. That's a, you got Tampa Bay, you've got Atlanta. I actually don't see very much red here. Maybe I'm crazy. I see a lot of purple. Yeah, on one side. What's the other side look like? It kind of looks like it's all purple to me. No. Maybe uh, I'm looking seen, at, yeah. Am I looking at the wrong one? Um, and I guess a lot of people pointed out that the logo for last year's Super Bowl between the Philadelphia Eagles and Chiefs had green for the Eagles, red for Kansas City. 2022, Bengals and the Rams included orange and yellow. I do not There's believe little, in yeah. conspiracy. Of course, I would say that the color that the Rams mostly are, are blue. blue. I would too. So it's like it it leaves a bit of a loophole. Uh yeah. Well, first and foremost, this is dumb. Yeah. But they're not wrong. They're and, not wrong. <laughs> Unless you know? the Chiefs win. Let's see what happens. Uh, like for the twelve years before then, they didn't have colors on the logo. Right. It's all it was all gray. Very boring logos, if I may. Yeah, if I may all, say. All gray. They're all gray. Yeah. So the team is gray. The, uh, the Raiders. Raiders. Yeah. They didn't, and they the didn't Raiders won every year. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't put any credence in this at all unless it comes true. Watch <laughs> this space. Uh, I saw this, and, and I'm kind of wishing I had one right now, Google Pixel 8 Pro. Uh, I've got an iPhone, but apparently if you've got Android, this is, is this the top of the line Android phone? It's the one I happen to have been looking at. Okay. I need a new it's phone supposed to and... take great pictures, right? Yeah. Well, it's supposed to be able to take your temperature. Oh. Yeah. There's a thermometer app, and you can use it to take your temperature with a forehead scan or take someone else's temperature, which I think we need to take Heidi's temperature. I don't have a fear. <laughs> if you guys sick. want me to take uh, the day off on Monday, just let me know. No, no, no. I don't know. I want you to take a COVID test. I think though. Josh and I will take the day off. Yeah, we'll uh, yeah, and we you need can, to. You can stay. Got you. Yeah, you've been off enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's wrap this show up with a random or two. Before, speaking of Vegas, hosting the Super Bowl, before Vegas was known as Sin City, yep. that title went to Newport, Kentucky. For what reason? It became a hotspot of corruption, gambling, and prostitution during Prohibition and stayed that way until the 60s. 
I don't even know where Newport, Kentucky is. Well, they probably don't want you to know where it is. Mm. Stay out and don't ask questions. Okay. 80% of the population of the U.S. lives within a two-hour flight of Atlanta, which is probably why they're the biggest airport in the country. And during a battle at a park between England and Ireland in 1916, there was a ceasefire every day so a park employee could come in and feed the ducks. Now that yeah. is entertaining. Ceasefire! Ceasefire! Wow. <laughs> that does it for us. Thanks for hanging out with us this afternoon. I hope you have a fantastic weekend. And I also hope you come back here starting at 3 o'clock on Monday. Until then, see if you can put a smile on somebody's Whatever face. Get you through the night.